0: Listener supported WNYC Studios.
1: Calf. Tobes. When you were a kid, did you ever play dress up?
2: No. <laughs> I hated dress up. Really? I hate costumes. I hate having clothes that aren't used for daily wear.
1: Wait, so like, what did you do at Halloween time? Like, did you just not go as anything? Oh
2: my god. Kid Kathy also hated Halloween. (laughs) One year I did dress up. I wore my karate uniform because I was in karate for about two months.
1: I love how meta that is. You went not as someone who does karate, but as Kathy wearing her karate uniform because she hates Halloween. (laughs)
3: <laughs> From WNYC Studios, you're listening to Nancy.
1: With your host, Tobin Lowe, Kathy Tu. You know what's really weird about being a podcast host? What? having to listen to recordings of your own damn voice.
2: Oh, yeah. That is terrifying and horrible. It's
1: so weird. Yeah, very weird. Like, in our job, we have to edit a bunch of tape for the show, and that means, like, hours and hours and hours of hearing ourselves. Jason remembers this as the moment both he and his dad realized he might be gay. But it's led to, like, a little bit of a discovery. Like, I've started to hear something about my voice. What you say is the most important thing to you in the world. Something no one else but me might notice. It was crazy me because when I was getting ready for this conversation— I think that I force my voice down.
2: Like you lower it?
1: Exactly. Like I lower it.
2: But Why? Well, I have a
1: theory. It goes back to this very specific memory from middle school of this time when I overheard someone say that I talked like a girl. And I remember feeling like, ah, message received, sounding feminine is really, really bad if you're a boy. So I think from then on, I started forcing my voice down to sound more masculine.
2: Yeah, I can see that.
1: Yeah, and... Honestly, I do feel like I have proof that I'm doing something weird with my voice because, like, sometimes I get to the end of the day and my throat is sore or I've lost my voice. So it feels like I'm doing something my body doesn't naturally like. But all of this is just a theory. So recently, I decided to test out my theory.
3: Long, slow, deep breath first when you're all full of air. That's when you start. Uh, Medium, easy, straight pitch. Let's see how long you can say, ah.
1: Okay. Ah. So, what you're hearing is me at the offices of Dr. Christy Block. She's a speech pathologist, and in her practice, she works with people on how they use their voices. She also focuses a lot on trans people who want to work on how they speak. Uh... At the moment, she's recording me so that this special software can show her where the pitch of my voice sits.
3: Good. 30 (laughs) seconds. Woo!
1: She also asked me a couple questions about my medical history.
3: Have you been diagnosed with reflux or with allergies?
1: Sort of self-diagnosed, I guess, Uh for reflux. Definitely. When the sunlight strikes, raindrops in the air. I read some sentences into the mic. Uh Oh. I made a bunch of noises. Uh Oh. Answered more questions about how I use my voice. Pets? Cats. Talk funny to the cat? All the time. Let's hear it. Hi, Greta. You're the yeah, great, <laughs> Nice. I I'm curious um, if there's such thing as each person having a core fundamental voice that they can find that like where their body is supposed to sit or where their voice is supposed to sit, and if I'm way below where I'm quote unquote supposed to be, is yeah. that such a thing? Like a fundamental voice
3: in in voice. Uh in the voice field people used to talk about optimal pitch. Uh-huh. Um these days it's really not something um many of us subscribe to. For me, I usually just operate from what feels good and sounds good for you. And you're telling me it doesn't feel good.
1: Yeah. Eventually, Dr. Block pulls the results from the tests, and she gets out this chart that shows the different registers where people speak. Up at the top is the highest voices, and down at the bottom is the lowest. And there's a bunch of shaded regions that show where different groups of people tend to speak. Towards the top is a shaded area for cis women's voices, and down at the bottom is cis men's voices. That's the area she points to for my voice. Yes. And I was at kind of the bottom of that block. Exactly.
3: Which I think does not serve your vocal health very well. And this is why you are having the fatigue and the hoarseness. I think you're forcing it down. I think you could move your pitch around more when you talk.
1: Dr. Block I says I basically are- have become very good at faking it in my lower register. She says that for most people, when they make themselves speak lower, they end up sounding kind of monotone. How are you? I am speaking very deeply. But Dr. Block says I've managed to find a way to force my voice down while also having some ups and downs. Makes it sound more natural. I mean, I have had years of practice, so that makes sense to me.
3: So I want you to count to 10
1: uh-huh. in,
3: your, in
1: your habitual voice. Okay. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten.
3: Good. Now I want you to do it a little higher.
1: One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. What'd that seem like to you? The higher pitch feels more vulnerable.
3: Mmm. Tell me more about vulnerable.
1: <laughs> <And> what, <laughs> do you mean physically or how you're being viewed? how I'm being viewed, I think, it does sort of touch on, oh no, we're going up into the unsafe zone. Mm-hmm. You know, like, down here feels like the safe, I'm, you know, I'm an adult human kind of voice. Yeah. And then going up feels a little more present and a little bit more calling attention to itself.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah. And I think... What Tobin, as an audio professional... <laughs> I have to admit, I don't really hear a huge difference between your lower and higher voices.
1: Yes. Yeah. It is definitely very subtle. Like, the difference between where I talk now and where Dr. Block thinks I should be, it's it's like so slight. But I want to say a couple things. First of all, I just feel vindicated that I had a theory <laughs> and a real-ass professional told me I was right. Good for you, Tobin. Uh, Also, though, it kind of hit me that it sucks that I was right. You know, like, teenage Tobin, who was so afraid of being perceived as feminine in any way decided to try and speak differently, and now adult Tobin still carries that shit around.
2: I mean, I know what that's like. Mm. When I was younger, teenage Kathy was afraid of having short hair because I was always told that I had to be feminine. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. short hair was masculine or or butch or like what boys do. Right. So I just kept along for a very long time. And as an adult, I had to face that fear. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: And then you chopped off all your hair.
2: I did. And you and I now have— the same haircut. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's not quite the same. Right, right, It's close. Right.
1: Yeah, so anyway, thinking about my voice stuff, it sort of opened up this can of worms because it makes me think about, you know, like the rules of gender expression and how boys can only do this or girls can only do this. Mm-hmm. You know, like, for example, you know that I've been really into painting my nails recently.
2: You've been really great at choosing all these great
1: colors. hmm hmm And that's something I hadn't even considered as an option for myself for a long time because I thought of it as a feminine thing. And now I'm wondering how much of everything, like how I dress, how I carry myself, how much of that stuff has been driven by not wanting to be read as anything but masculine. And how do I even begin to figure that out? As I've been thinking about all of these questions, I've been reading this book called Sissy, A Coming of Gender Story. It's by writer and activist and self-identified trans weirdo, Jacob Tobia, And there was this one story from the book that really stuck out to me. It takes place when Jacob was six years old and shopping for Halloween costumes with their mom. Jacob's mom asked them which costume they want, and they answered they'd like to be their favorite character from a movie who happens to
4: be a woman. The silence was deafening. You know when you tell someone you're in love with them, and within two nanoseconds, before they can even utter a word, you know they don't reciprocate? This was like that. I knew from the moment the words left my lips that it wasn't going to happen. My mom paused and let out a deep sigh as her gears turned. How could she explain to me what I needed to know? How could she tell me what I needed to hear? If we'd grown up in a different world, in a more perfect universe, in an alternate, less racist, less misogynistic reality, perhaps that would have been the moment when she would pause, collect her thoughts, and cautiously say what needed to be said. I know you are more feminine than the other boys. I know you love dresses and flowers and playing with your grandmother's jewelry, and I love that about you. There is absolutely nothing wrong with who you are, and I will support you no matter what. But I also want to help you understand the world you're growing up in. You are growing up in a world where many people, your brother, father, your classmates, your peers, random strangers on the street, you name it, are going to be hostile toward you because of your femininity. People are going to spend most of your life making you feel less than. Knowing that, I want to help you make an informed decision. Would you rather go as a more socially acceptable costume, like a pumpkin or some equally stupid vegetable, thereby avoiding the torment of your peers, or are you ready to put on a dress and bravely face the world? Whatever you choose, I will support you and love you and hug you when it feels like too much, okay? But in our universe, instead of saying all that, she simply turned to me with a quiet look of concern and sheepishly asked, what about going as a boy character from the movie? You know, you talk about these small
1: moments where the world, and in this case your mom, just sort of subtly signals to you um, how you express gender, how you express your identity is not what I want. Um...
4: And I wonder how that felt, especially coming from your mom. Well, I, I think I, I wouldn't characterize it as her saying how you express yourself is not what I want. Mm. Um, because, you know, for my mom, this whole journey has been incredibly painful. And not because she has loathed anything about me. Yeah. Um, it's only been painful because she's looked at me, saw who I just so organically was, and realized that that meant the world was going to be cruel and inhumane to her child. Mm. No parent of a queer or trans child should have to worry about whether or not their kid is performing their gender properly, because we shouldn't live in a world where there's such a thing as a proper gender to perform. When you started having moments like this,
1: where it seemed like people were noticing or having a problem with you expressing your
4: gender identity, how did you deal with it? So, like, being a theater kid really helped mm. because—so, like, for example, in my freshman year of high school, I played the Mad Hatter in Alice awesome in Wonderland. Uh-huh. And everyone was like, oh, my God, you're such a talented actor. And I was just like, yes, acting, correct. <laughs> 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 and really, it was just the excuse I needed to queen out, Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, because the Mad Hatter's like, oh, my God, such a lovely gay character. Yeah. It makes me personally a little sad to
1: hear you talk about that just because I feel like— if there's a moment where the world comes in and tells you, like, however much you express feminists is not okay with us, I looked at that crossroads and suppressed and, you know, like, mm. didn't find those outlets. And so now mm. I'm, like, really left questioning, like, what parts of myself have I totally, like, shoved down? Mm. Yeah, I don't know. That's just oh, like Tobin. a... <laughs>
4: But yeah, I mean, I, I think this this journey of reconnecting with our femininity and reconnecting with our gender for everybody. Honestly, my new dream is just I want Netflix to call me mm-hmm. and I want to do um, Tidying Up Your Gender with Jacob Tobias. Oh my God, I'm obsessed. <laughs> and I just, I'm just the Marie Kondo of gender. Uh-huh. And I just go around being like, but does it spark joy for you? And then it's a makeover show, but it's not about, like, make you look sexy. It's about we're going to actually do the work to think about what brings you joy in your gender. Mm. And we're going to hold that necklace to our chest and think, does this bring me joy? We're going to hang our wrists limply and think, does this bring me joy? We're going to, like, swish our hips a little and think, does that bring me joy? And we all need to figure out what sparks joy and stop thinking about all the other bullshit. You know, hold the thing to your chest, and if you don't feel joy in it, let it go. And if you feel joy in it, keep it and protect it fiercely and thank it. Yeah. Oh, that was so freeing. <laughs> Everything that you just said is so freeing. I'm just trying to have fun, you know? Yeah. I'm patriarchy really gets me down, and the gender binary kind of gets in the way of me dancing.
2: I would definitely watch a show starring Jacob. I know, right? I would watch the hell
1: out of that show. Yeah. Anyway, talking to Jacob, I am realizing that the stuff I've been thinking about, like with my voice and painting my nails, it's all sort of level one of me trying to leave behind some of that gender baggage and like actually figure out what brings me joy. So coming up, I'm going to let myself do something that I used to really like, Something I haven't let myself do since I was four years old.
0: If there were no rules at all and you could wear anything you want, what would you
3: wear?
1: What I'm wearing right now. The first thing that comes to mind is cowboy boots. (laughs) Red cowboy boots.
4: I'm just like at this cross-section of rejecting vanity and consumerism. So a black t-shirt and black jeans, which happens to be what I'm wearing.
3: I would wear a slip nightgown every day.
4: That is the only thing that I think that uh, other people don't look at and project things onto me. They can only uh,
3: see who I am on the inside by talking to me.
2: I'd probably ignore all the trends and wear a mismatch just because it's easier. (laughs) (laughs) I'll wear my birthday suit every day.
1: Nancy will be back in a minute.
2: And we're back. Okay, so Tobin, you did this big old cliffhanger about this thing you're gonna try. Mm -hmm. Now I wanna know, what is it?
1: Okay, so backing up, uh, when I was little, four-year-old Tobin loved playing dress-up, and the preschool I went to had this bin of costumes we could use, and I had a favorite outfit. It was this purple dress, and most importantly, a pair of high heels. They were definitely, like, a little one-inch kitten heel and way too big for my feet, but I fucking loved them. (laughs) And, you know, I don't remember anyone minding that I was wearing a dress and heels back then, but I have also never worn a heel since. So, a couple weekends ago, I made my way out to a warehouse in Brooklyn.
0: Well, welcome to our dungeon. Um, Oh, I wouldn't say a
5: dungeon. Excuse me. There's no windows. Okay, stop, Um, stop it. Picture it. It's Brooklyn. (laughs) It's Bushwick. It's DIY, it's street, it's punk, it's underground, not literally, figuratively. And then we
0: have high heels and large sizes sprinkled everywhere.
1: This is Henry Bay and Chabo Han. Together, they run this company called Cyro Shoes. As Chabot describes it,
5: we create femme heels and large sizes for all genders. Do you remember the first pair of heels
1: that you ever wore? And could you describe them to me?
0: My first pair of heels um, were these pink glitter, women's size 12, Jeffrey Campbell shoes. Purchased it and I wore them all day for Portland Pride. And towards the end of the day, more towards the middle, I suppose, I was just shocked and gobsmacked that women go through this pain.
5: It was unbelievable. The first pair of heels I ever worn was actually my mother's. They were lime green. They were sandals with a stiletto. And I actually broke them. The heel went like, and I freaked out because now these pairs were ruined. So I kind of put them back on, into her closet. Oh, my God, you And would. Then never talked about it oh. again. And I'm pretty sure she tossed it. She probably thought she threw, she, she ruined them.
1: What was it about heels that felt like it attracted you and felt like it was something that you were curious about trying?
0: I don't understand why, but I when I saw my mom's heels, I just knew that I wanted to be in those. And I remember watching my feet morph from when I was young. They would fit, and they were too large. And I watched my feet become become slowly too large to fit into her shoes. Like, mm-hmm. they used to be ginormous. Mm-hmm. And then as the years went by, I was like, oh, my God. I only have a couple of years left before like I can't fit into these. What am I gonna do? Like Did day. she ever catch you? No, I was never caught. Not once.
5: Same. Bad So voice. sneaky. Bad boys. Yeah. <laughs> but there's there's uh, there's something to be said about the fact that we knew what we were doing was not okay. Abnormal or something. Yeah, that totally. we had to hide it from her. Mm-hmm. You know?
1: Henry and Chabot both say that how they dress and how they appear to the world are important in how they express their gender.
5: Joy and happiness and authenticity is so important that I have to visually display it. There's no way I could hide who I am. Do you ever deal with street harassment when you're
1: wearing heels? Oh, yeah. (sighs) That's like three
5: hours of conversations. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, there's definitely harassment. Um, There's definitely straight men that will be really aggressive usually when they're drunk I mean I have to say I'm very aware of the fact that if I go out on the street looking a certain way that I'm intentionally as well as much as I am living my fantasy and just enjoying my outfit I am also intentionally terrorizing gender Mm. and I accept that and I embrace that so they, they go hand in hand my existence is a terror to
1: gender how does wearing heels inform your
0: identity oh my god it's just the sound that it makes when you walk on the concrete, oh. just the way that your
5: ass has to like swoosh. Yeah, I don't the know hip, the way your hips sway. It just it feels it feels great. It sounds powerful. I feel powerful. Like I've never felt this confident in who I am until I really embraced my femininity.
1: So after talking for a while, surrounded by all these boxes of shoes, it was time. Let's try on some shoes. Oh my yeah.
0: God. So the first and yes. most important thing is I need to know what is your size?
1: Um, I am a 12, sometimes a 13. So we should do a 13. So we should do yeah. Henry pulls out a pair of black leather ankle boots. They have a pointy toe and a three inch chunky heel. They have other shoes that have louder prints and higher heels, but Henry tells me that the pair I have on are intentionally designed to be a little bit subtle. He says it helps prevent street harassment because if you're walking by someone, it might take them a second to realize you're wearing a heel at all. So, in effect, he's giving me their starter pair. Oh my God. Like a little skinny, like
0: YSL kind of, you're a rock boy or a rock them.
1: Am it, is it just this mirror, or does it, like, do heels make your legs look skinnier? <laughs> they do. They do? They do. They do.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not that janky mirror that we found on the street. It's your legs. <laughs> it's so big,
5: you it looks, it know. Looks
1: As I'm looking guy. at myself in the mirror, I can feel teenage Tobin inside of me saying, this is a lot. But adult Tobin is thinking, um, I think I'm going to buy these, <gasps> y'all.
4: <laughs> and that's a sale! Yeah. ka <laughs>
2: So Tobin, we are in the studio. It's the end of the Mm workday, but not just any workday because today you wore your heels. I did. (laughs) Tell me about it. Like Start from the very beginning, from the morning. Mm -hmm. How did you feel putting them on?
1: Uh, Number one, super nervous. All right, getting dressed for work. And the final touch is these beautiful high heel boots but also very excited because I planned what I felt was like a very good outfit for the heels. (laughs) This is a good look, wearing a yellow sweater, black jeans over these black boots. I am three to four inches taller than I normally am. Yeah, it's really raining. Great also fun fact i have about a mile walk between where i live and the subway oh
2: that is so far it's
1: like half a block i'm already in so much pain why and i would say like when i first started walking i felt all the things of like being very square and very awkward one step at a time here we go and i had to sort of be like no own it yeah i'm just gonna Play in my mind, Lizzo's Juice. That's going to get me the rest of the way there. Like, imagine yourself being tall, like, loosening your hips Mm -hmm. and really strutting. How did you
2: feel wearing them out?
1: I would say I got some looks, both good and suspicious. Okay. Like, some people seemed really into it. Other people were like, this is someone I wouldn't expect to be wearing heels. Like, you know, there was clearly some jerking back of the head. Mm-hmm. And I have to acknowledge, like, I was really lucky that I didn't get any harassment. Um, the only person who talked to me was this woman who saw me in the subway stop and was like, Are those comfortable? No, it's my first day wearing them too. Oh, no. I'm dying. I don't have something to change into. I do. I brought a spare set of shoes. You should travel in the spare set. She was like, you shouldn't wear them on your commute. Just wear other comfortable shoes for your commute and change into the heels at work. Yeah.
0: Trust me. Um,
1: She was like giving me tips. (laughs) She's been there. Yeah. So anyway, when I got to the office, I decided to do like a little walk around and show them off. You know, we work in super friendly, open-minded public radio in New York City, so I wasn't expecting like a bad reaction, but I was curious if seeing me in the shoes would bring up anything for anyone else. So, for example, I broke into a meeting that our boss Paula was having with our coworker Joanna. I'm wearing my heels today. Wait, is this when Paula screamed?
2: <laughs> How do they feel? Uh,
1: I'm in a lot of pain. <laughs>
2: Tobin, if I can be totally honest with you, though, Tobin rolled in this morning, I hear him go, Jesus fucking Christ, I think, what's wrong? What new horror show has hit our country? And then Tobin lifts up his foot, shows me his heels, and said, I walked a mile to the train in these, and I thought, Ugh, amateur hour over here.
1: <laughs> so, you know, another person reading me for acting like a hero... <laughs> Anyway, after that, I went upstairs to the area where all the Radiolab folks sit, and I ran into another producer there, Matt Keelty. And Matt started telling me how, when he was a kid, he also used to play dress-up in heels.
5: Yeah, I would put my mom's shoes on, or me and my cousins once did a fashion show for our family up north. Came down the stairs in heels. It
1: was tricky. And why do you think you stopped wearing heels?
5: Uh, my assumption is I um, began to just wear what are relatively masculine shoes and footwear. Do you want to try these on? Oh yeah, sure, that's great!
1: So I had him put on the heels.
2: And?
5: How does it feel? It feels very awkward. Yeah. (laughs) Like, there's nothing nothing graceful or natural about it, nor sexy.
1: (laughs) So you want to release the hips maybe more than you would? So let them sway. So with, like, each each step, you, like,
5: oh. Wow, that's already making a difference. Okay. That's tip one. Are there other tips? Um,
1: he can try to do a
2: little bit. Look at you, the student becoming the teacher. I know, right? So, like, do you plan on wearing the heels every day now? Uh, maybe not every day. Hmm.
1: Definitely still level one. Like, right now, as we sit here, I have a cramp running up my whole right leg. Yeah, I feel that. But I will say I love how they looked. And it was cool to wear them and be like, nobody died, mm. you know? So, like, I like now having the option of, depending on the day, what makes me feel joyful, going more masculine or more feminine. It doesn't have to be, like, an either-or thing. 100%. Um, Also, Kath, before we wrap things up, I have a surprise for you.
2: A surprise?
1: Dr. Black, the speech pathologist, she gave me vocal exercises to help raise my voice up, uh, and I want us to do them together.
2: No, absolutely not. Ready? No.
1: So the first thing is lip trails. Repeat after me.
2: I refuse. I'd rather wear the heels.
1: it is credits time
2: production fellow
1: Temi Fegbenle editor Stephanie Joyce
2: sound designer
1: Jeremy Bloom
2: executive producer
1: Paula Schumann I'm Kathy Chu. I'm Tobin Lowe
2: and Nancy is a production of WNYC Studios
5: These big celebrities email us being like, hey, we will love to, like, get a free pair. Right.
1: Wait, if I name a name and it's one of the people, will you tell me that I got it right?
3: <gasps>
5: wow, 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 I'm wow. dead and a half.
3: <laughs> what?
5: Bam.